All right, let's get to our lesson tonight. And I know you're excited to get to Judges chapter 8, because that's the only chapter in the Bible where you can read about Zeb and Zeba and Zalmunna, all in one chapter. I knew Mark would like that. Uh, <laughs> Zeb and Zeba and Zalmunna are characters in Gideon's story in Judges chapter 8. Uh, we've been on Gideon for three weeks. Uh, if you remember the background, he started at the bottom, didn't have any faith, didn't have any self-confidence, didn't even really think that God was present. But we've grown him, God has grown him uh, through different adventures until he's a leader now. And when we finished last week, he had just defeated the Midianites uh, with his, with God's secret plan of the trumpets and torches and pitchers. And defeated the Midianites. Now, they ran, and that's where we left. So we're chasing the Midianites. And I don't want to go into great detail, but we got to know a little bit about the end of chapter 7 and the first part of chapter 8. And then I put on your handout on the back there uh, some specific stuff about toward the end of chapter 8. But let's just kind of tell the story here to get the, the stage set. Uh, after the Midianites ran, Gideon called on the tribe of Ephraim. Now, he hadn't used them yet, but he called on Ephraim, and he said, I need a little help here. So Ephraim went and caught Oreb and Zeb, who were leaders of the Midianites. Uh, they caught them and killed them. And then when Gideon got there, the Ephraimites said, hey, how come you left us out? Uh, this was a good fight against the Midianites. Why didn't you invite us in the first place? Now remember, Gideon could only take 300 guys, so he had left the Ephraimites out. And the interesting thing I see here in verse 1 of chapter 8 is they challenged him, or criticized him, some translations say, vigorously. They got in his face. Now, Gideon, a couple of weeks ago, how do you think he would have responded to that? Okay. He had no confidence, didn't think he could do anything, thought he was the least in any tribe and all of that. And now the whole tribe of Ephraim's on him. Well, Gideon handles it. He's, in fact, he's kind of a slick politician at this point. Uh, he says, uh, the things I've done don't even compare to what you do. I mean, you caught Oreb and Zeb. You know, that's awesome that you got them. And that kind of calmed them down, and they thought, okay, he thinks... We did a good job, and they they backed off. So the change in his confidence, the change in the way he deals with people, he's acting like a leader now. God told him he was going to be a leader. Told him he was a mighty warrior, but he didn't believe it at first. And then Gideon and his 300 were still working, so they were chasing two other uh, leaders of the Midianites, Zeba and Zalmunna. And he stopped at a couple of towns and asked for help, asked for bread for his men, uh, the town of Succoth and the town of Peniel. And he asked them for to feed his men, and they didn't give it to him. Uh, kind of a weird story, but they said, uh, you hadn't caught Zeba and Zalmunna yet. I guess they thought he wasn't going to win the battle. Why should we give bread to you? Well, here's another response from the guy that didn't used to have any confidence. You know what Gideon told him? I'll be back. 
He says, I'm going to go get Zeba and Zalmunna. After I do, I'll be back, and you're going to be sorry you didn't feed us. And off he goes, and sure enough, he catches Zeba and Zalmunna, and then he goes back, just like he said he would. Uh, and that's where I started the story on page 2, is in verse 13 of chapter 8. Uh, on the way back, he caught a young man from the town of Succoth and questioned him. And he got this kid to write down the big shots in the town of Succoth. There were 77 of them. He wrote the names down for him. Uh, Gideon had the list, and he went to town with that list, and he cleaned house. He punished them. He told them he was coming back, and sure enough, he did. And the punishment that he gave them is described in verse 16 there. He punished them with desert thorns and briars. And I didn't know what that was, so I looked it up, and the story is that they used to, when they captured people, they would tie weights on them, make them heavier, and then drag them through uh, the desert thorn bushes and briars, which would that straighten you out and <laughs> get your attention. And that's what he did to them, because he told them he should have fed me. And then he went back to the town of Peniel, and they were proud of their tower, which was their defense probably, and he tore it down and killed a bunch of men there. So... Kind of a gory story, but see the difference? See where Gideon has come from where he was, no confidence, nothing, to he is a leader now. He is running things. And bear in mind, his role is to get rid of the Midianites and bring peace to the land. Some of this sounds kind of harsh, but that's the way they dealt with folks back then. And he was supposed to get rid of the Midianites. God's plan for him. Well, then he had a talk with Zeba and Zalmunna in verse 18, and he asked them about who they'd killed when they went to this one place, uh, Tabor. And they said, well, I guess they meant they looked like you. They said, men like you, each one with the bearing of a prince. Gideon said, those were my brothers, my very own real blood brothers. And so he killed them for that. And he said, if you'd have spared my brothers, I probably would have let you live, but I can't now. So he actually asked his son to kill them first, and he wouldn't. So Gideon stepped in and killed them. So he got rid of Zeba and Zalmunna. Now, verse 22 is where it gets kind of interesting. I said we were going to see maybe Gideon go a little beyond self-confidence into a little self-trust, maybe. Uh, it starts out good because the Israelites were so excited about all this that they wanted to make Gideon their king. So they said to Gideon, rule over us, you and your son and your grandson. We'll, we'll, we'll take a dynasty. Uh, you're so good, we'll just take the family from now on. You just run, run Israel and keep the bad guys away and all that. Uh, you saved us from Midian, so we want you to rule us. Well, Gideon did the right thing. He said, no, I'm not going to rule you. It's not my job. I'm not supposed to be king. Now, bear in mind, this was a period of time uh, where the judges were operating. They didn't have a king. God was the king. And the judges were raised up for specific duties and specific problems. And Gideon had handled the Midianite problem. So he said, no, I will not rule over you, nor will my son rule over you. The Lord will rule over you. 
And he said, I do have one request. And here's where it gets just a little bit questionable. He says, each of you give me an earring from your share of the plunder. Uh, They took plunder when they'd taken all the Midianites. And so everybody was happy. They all gave him a bunch of gold. They laid out a garment and everybody threw some gold onto it. Uh, The weight was 1,700 shekels, which I read was about 42 pounds of gold, which is pretty good haul. And so he took all of that and made a ephod from it, a breastplate, a golden ephod. And here comes the trouble. He placed it in Ophrah, his town, and all Israel prostituted themselves by worshiping it. And it became a snare to Gideon and his family. Now, I'm unhappy that we don't know any more about it. I wish Holy Spirit would have given us a little more detail in here. But it caused some problems. And and we don't know why Gideon did that. I read a number of commentators on it. Uh, Some think, well, he was getting a little prideful here. Uh, He thought... Okay, I'm not going to rule over you. I'm not going to be the king. That's God's job. But I'll be kind of a civil ruler. I'll be, you know, I am the guy that ran the Midianites out. Uh, So I'll be over you, kind of the town sheriff or something. And I need something to signify that. So we'll make a gold ephod. I don't think he wanted to be the priest in any way. Uh, doesn't, we don't have any indication of that. We know he didn't want to be the king. That was God's job. But he wanted some kind of honor here. And whether he wanted it or not, once he made this thing, once he made this physical symbol of Gideon, things went bad. People started worshiping it. And I don't know what caused or what the problem was in the family, but it says it became a snare to Gideon and his family. Maybe he was sorry he ever made it or something. Uh, But that's the the end of his story, except for his death, which we'll get to in just a minute. Uh, But this is one of those things that you don't have to agree with me on, but it seems like he went all the way from absolutely nothing to a confident leader where God wanted him, and then maybe he went just a little bit more. And thought, okay, I'm getting all this praise and adoration and all that. I'll make a gold ephod and that'll be kind of cool. I'm a little bit special in some way. I may be reading it wrong. Maybe he didn't. Maybe he just thought it was a good sign of civil authority and never meant anything about it. Uh, But it's collecting gold to make something for himself, kind of a memorial to himself, strikes me as a little bit less than meek and humble, shall we say. So you can consider that if you want. Verse 28 says, The Midian was subdued before the Israelites and did not raise its head again. During Gideon's lifetime, the land had peace for 40 years. So... The guy that started in the wine press ended up doing exactly what God said he was supposed to do, getting rid of Midian, and they had peace for 40 years. Unfortunately, if you read verse 33, as soon as Midian di- or Gideon died, then Israel started worshiping Baals again. So 
here we go again and we're going to need another judge and the Israelites are up and down like they always are. Okay, so that's the life of Gideon. Now, uh, I realize spreading it over four lessons and six or seven weeks or however long it took us to get through it, that maybe we've lost the whole picture, but the picture here that I intended for us to get of Gideon is his faith walk. And I made a few notes that basically went back through the lessons and kind of jotted down some things that we saw as we went. Maybe going through them will help us think about Gideon's faith walk and transfer it to our faith walk. Remember where he started? Faithless. He didn't think there was any way. He, he just, in fact, he just kind of ignored the angel when he called him a mighty warrior. Uh, he was timid. He was bitter. He questioned God's presence. Uh, he told the angel, he said, I don't see God doing anything for us. I don't think he's around here. Okay? That doubt, that questioning, that unbelief grew into this great faith where he thought he could defeat the Midianites. He thought he was supposed to defeat the Midianites with 300 people. He thought he was supposed to whip the whole country into shape and started handing out discipline and straightening this bunch out and telling this fellow what he ought to do. That's quite a change. That's a huge change. Okay. Uh, now remember, this is not just a study in Gideon. This is to apply to ourselves. So when you read that, ask yourself, where am I? I, I don't think anybody in here probably is as low as poor old Gideon was when he started. <laughs> you know, maybe there's somebody here that has absolutely no faith and thinks they are the absolute weakest person in the, the whole country and not sure God's helping them at all. If you are, look at Gideon. But I assume you're a little somewhere further on your faith walk than that since you're here on Sunday night. So <laughs> look the room for growth. Gideon grew from absolutely nothing to great faith. Then remember how Gideon started. He started with the strength he had. Remember that first lesson? He didn't think he could do anything. When the angel told him, yeah, you're going to do this. He said, no. He said, my tribe is the weakest tribe, and I'm the least guy in the whole tribe. And the, the angel told him, the Lord told him, well, you just go with the strength you have. I don't care how much it is. You go with that much strength, and I'll go with you, and we can handle this. Well, that's what Gideon did. He took that first step with the strength he had. And remember when he decided to do that was when he decided Jehovah Shalom. God is peace. If God's in control, it's going to work out. The night he decided that was the night he decided, okay, I can start obeying, even though I'm scared to death. God, Because that principle that God's running things is all the faith you need to take that first step. Whether you've got any strength or not. If you understand God is running things, he knows the end from the beginning. He knew how it was going to come out. And he was telling Gideon, yeah, you're going to defeat the Midianites. Well, Gideon didn't believe that right then, but he did believe 
the little bit that, okay, God's in control. If he's running things, I'll be at peace with this. So he started with the strength he had. Next thing we need to remember is he started at home. Okay. We've mentioned that maybe some of our faith growth needs to start at home. Where we got to take the first step. That's where Gideon started. Had to deal with his dad and his neighbors and the family and all that. He did it. He, he acted in faith. He obeyed. Next step, the, that obedience, he was scared to death. He, he wasn't confident like he was toward the end where he was telling the, uh, the people of Succoth and Peniel, all right, I'll be back. I'm going to take care of you. <laughs> he was saying, I got to do this at night. I'm afraid somebody will see me. He took some of his friends with him, give him a little extra confidence. He was running around at night so nobody would see him, but he did it is the point. It was an initial faith step, and he took it. He was still afraid, and I think that might be one of the most important lessons from the first part of this story, is obedience doesn't have to be do with not being afraid. You can obey and be afraid completely. But if you got that little bit of faith, okay, God's running things. I'm going to try this. I'm going to do it. It's what he said to do. I know it's the right thing. I'm going to do the next right thing. And he found out it worked. Courage, faith, all of that. Sometimes we are scared. Uh, John Wayne said, courage is being scared to death and still saddling up. Yeah, I mean, and if the Duke said it, you can take it to the bank, right? Uh, I mean, I, I know I'm reading a lot of scripture here, but that's John Wayne now. Uh, <laughs> courage is being scared to death and saddling up anyway. Okay. Well, that's where Gideon was. He was scared to death of what was going to happen to him. He figured his dad and the neighbors and everybody else were going to kill him. And instead, they kind of liked it. They kind of elevated him. Gave him a new nickname and everything. So, uh, started at home, went with the strength he had, did it in fear. Uh, now, his initial step, that one little step, which seems pretty small by the time we read the whole story... Look at the results it had. Okay. Nobody wanted to help before this. Everybody was hiding in the wine presses. But now, when he called for help, 32,000 guys showed up. Gideon's calling for help. Gideon's that guy that tore down the altars of Baal. Gideon's that guy that cleaned up his own house. Well, she said, yeah, I'll go fight with him. And 32,000 people showed up. When somebody breaks the, the barrier, when somebody takes that first step and shows that it's possible, people respond. You give courage to other people if you take this step in a faith walk. I know it's not a matter of faith or courage, but when I thought about that, I thought about the four-minute mile uh, before Roger Bannister broke the four-minute mile for the first time, nobody believed you could break the four-minute mile. 
Uh, scientists had all sorts of reasons that you couldn't run a four-minute mile. Lung capacity wasn't big enough. No, no way anybody could have enough lung capacity to run a four-minute mile. There were all sorts of arguments and reasons and all of that. Uh, Roger Bannister did it. He broke the four-minute mile. And I forget, I can't remember, I should have looked it up, the number of people that broke it the, the next year. They said, whoa, you can do that. And they just started doing it. Okay, Faith, courage walk, same way. Everybody was afraid in Gideon. And, uh, Gideon and Midian, give me a hard time. Everybody in Israel was afraid of Midian. They were hiding in caves and all of that. And here's one guy says, well, I'll tear down an altar. I'll take care of this, and I'm going to go fight Midianites. Everybody responded, at least 32,000 of them. Okay. Uh, the odds, I think we ought to consider the odds here. Didn't look too good. 135,000 versus 300. And even at the end, the story we just read tonight, there were 300 against 10,000 or 15,000, I forget what there were, when they were off chasing them around and all that, and they're still defeating them. Humanly, those are really bad odds. But I put a little note out there that those were deceiving odds because they hadn't added in the God factor yet. God plus one is a majority. Of course, God by himself is a majority, but if he's got a human to work with him, He's got a majority. Goliath learned that. <laughs> Zeb and Zalmuna learned that. Quite a few people learned that. That God, with somebody working with him, can handle anything. Last major point I wrote down here is that God empowered Gideon to do what God wanted done. You can read that whole story again. Go and read those chapters with that in mind. And you'll see when God started out, he picked a nobody. I think they were, most of them all were hiding in caves and all that. But he picked Gideon, who was not just in the wine press, but who had absolutely no confidence in himself. And he started right in on him. Mighty warrior, here's what we're going to do. Gideon, no, I don't think so. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you just go into strength you have. I'll go with you. You don't worry about this. It's, it's me that's going with you that's going to win this. And here's what we're going to do, and here's how we're going to do it, and you just obey and all that. And, yes, I'll reinforce you. I'll encourage you. I'll give you some signs. I'll give you some indication that, yes, we really are going to win. I'll keep you built up a little bit. But we're going to get the job done. That's the way it works through the whole Bible. Every faith walker we've looked at has done things that they couldn't do by themselves. And almost all of them, so far, I think, didn't want to do it. They were scared. Remember Moses? God said, well, 40 years before, Moses thought he could do it. And God broke him of that. And 40 years later, he said, okay, now we're going to go back and see Pharaoh. We're going to get my people out. And Moses said, I, 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 I can't do that. God said, yeah, you can. Here we go. So God empowers people to do what he wants done. 
You, you don't have to be somebody special to do something special. Now, once again, remember, keep trying to apply this to yourself. Can you think of something you know he wants done? And do you believe, well, I'm not the one to do this. I can't do that. It doesn't matter. <laughs> it doesn't matter because he's going to empower you to do it. He wants it done. He'll get it done. All you got to do, believe he's in control Take that little step of faith. I don't care how scared to death you are. Go ahead and take that step. You'll get the job done. Not doesn't have to be as big as defeating the Midianites. It can be something much smaller than that. It can be something in your home. It can be something in your in the church family here. It can be your daily life, work, wherever. He may have something for you to do. Gideon's pretty good pattern. Okay, last thing I put down there, just kind of an interesting thought. In fact, I think I read the, the title in somebody's writing about this, that uh, could you write a book called Wine Press Living in a Midianite World? When I heard that, I thought, hey, you know, we live in a Midianite world. The evil is overwhelming. And if you could write a book about what it's like to hide in the wine press... And be afraid of the world around us. That's probably not a good thing. <laughs> we probably could think of a lot of things to write a book like that. But we shouldn't. We ought to think more along the Gideon lines. That, okay, what's he want me to do next? I'll take care of it. Uh, in a Midianite world where people of faith are scared to death. It's kind of easy to hide in the caves and the wine presses. Stay out of trouble. Look what Gideon did in his Midianite world. All right, I hope Gideon has been an encouragement to all the faith walkers that have been listening to that story. Uh, we'll tackle another one in the weeks ahead. Pick another faith walker. If you're here this evening and need to respond to the Lord's invitation, we'd be happy to help you with that. Uh, any other thing you need to discuss with this family, come to the front. I'll be here to receive you. Let's stand and sing.